The Bulletin. Right, uh, let's get stuck into the bulletin for this Monday morning with uh, Aidan McLaughlin. Brentford 2, uh, Tottenham 2, Liverpool 1, Chelsea 1. Whether they were the scores overnight in the EPL. Uh, Aidan, good morning to you. And Tottenham now have to live without Harry Kane. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Uh, yeah, not the, the greatest start for Spurs uh, on the first weekend of the new season. Um, I guess they can now just put the Harry Kane saga behind them, and it did turn into a bit of a saga at the end, didn't it? Uh, probably the only positive they can take out of it is that it hasn't been dragged out until transfer deadline day. Uh, so there they can, I'm sure they've got some, some targets in mind to replace Harry Kane. But of course, those, those clubs that are selling, potentially selling, know that Tottenham have a fair bit of money in the bank too. So it becomes an interesting, um, an interesting decision for Tottenham to try and reach to, as to who's going to replace him. Would you have any idea, and people often ask me this, how much on a transfer like that Harry Kane would make, personally? Does he, does he in his contract, have a, a commission side of things? Yeah, I think there is. I believe there is. I think they're, they're pretty adept now at negotiating these things. And these agents are very, very astute, aren't they, at uh, getting the best possible deal um, for, for, their, uh, for their clients. And, of course, quite often... It doesn't apply in, in Harry Kane's case specifically, but because uh, he's been with Spurs for so long. But you know, that perhaps if Harry Kane had been at a, a, another club before Spurs, there would probably be a, a bit of a sell-on, uh, uh, you know, a percentage that would go to the the previous club as well. So I think these contracts are, are pretty complicated now. But I, I'd imagine he'd be getting something. You know, he hasn't um, he hasn't waited for his contract to expire when he could have really cashed in uh, because it wouldn't have been a transfer fee. But with one year to go, I'd imagine he's getting a reasonably good signing on fee from from Bayern Munich. Right, OK, let's look at uh, tennis, and in particular, uh, Caroline uh, Wozniacki back in action again uh, this afternoon, so interesting to see her come back. Not quite sure whether they'll be able to lure her to the ASB Classic uh, this year or 2024 with uh, Coco Goff is set to return, um, but uh, with the restrictions in place, where does that leave the field, you, you feel, for this or next year's early edition? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And it's something that was flagged, I guess, you know, earlier this year that um, there are these restrictions now for the Auckland tournament. They can only have that one player ranked within the top 30. I guess, the, the, you know, and Coco, Coco Goff is something, someone that they've uh, been very open about targeting and they've been looking to negotiate with her throughout the course of the year. She's a great draw card. I think the interesting thing always about women's tennis and probably more so than men's tennis is that there's a lot of big names that actually come outside of that top 30 for various reasons, um, whether it's workload, swings in form. Um, and Caroline Wozniacki is a little bit different because she's coming back from being retired, you know, having started the family. But I think she'll be one that will give serious consideration to. She's someone who's been there, I think, seven times she's been to Auckland um, and she's been in the final a couple of times. And I think she actually likes coming to, to Auckland as preparation for the Australian Open. So I think they'll probably get her uh, and then there's other interesting options outside that top 32 um you know the likes of sloan stevens um i think who else would be there simona halep i think is well outside the top 30 at the moment so the, there's ways and means to get big names in and when you're talking about a week in auckland um it's not necessarily about the form players it's about the big names so i think they'll be i think they'll go okay right speaking of big names uh, we've done exceptionally well and the uh, UCI World Championships for cycling, of course, with five gold medals, including Elise Andrews, 
uh, Aaron Gate, Sam Gaze, uh, Samara Maxwell and uh, Eris uh, Van Leuven. Uh, so uh, I think um, we can look forward with um, a lot of interest in upcoming events on the performance uh, we see at these Worlds. Yeah, it's really encouraging, isn't it? I think probably over the last decade or more, there have been some, some peaks and troughs in New Zealand cycling. Um, there's been some really strong individuals and some strong teams. But now I think, you know, following on from the Commonwealth Games, and you can always look at the Commonwealth Games and say, well, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't there. But when it comes to the Worlds um, and, then, and then the Olympics next year, suddenly they really are showing good form. So... Yeah, a really, really fantastic week, 10 days uh, at the World Championships over multiple disciplines uh, and types of cycling events. So, yeah, I think it's really encouraging for the Olympics next year. But now, you know, as we've seen before, we just a lot of these countries, they do tend to peak for the Olympics. So it's still a big challenge for the New Zealand cyclists uh, come Paris. Right, so let's um, go to the, the FIFA World Cup because... Uh, we just have to, and the semi-finalists uh, are now set with uh, Spain, Sweden, Australia v England. Uh, tomorrow night, in fact, at Eden Park at Spain, Sweden, the following night back in Australia. Um, and uh, I guess we've got to focus on uh, the Matildas uh, and that penalty shootout, that dramatic penalty shootout uh, on the weekend, uh, which was uh, against France. I, I just found that a fascinating two or three hours, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, I've watched a lot of penalty shootouts. I, think I worked it out at the time. I think the first penalty shootout I saw was in the, at the 1982 Men's World Cup. I've watched a lot since in that 43, with 41 years that have gone past. But I'd have to say, bias, uh, recent bias, bias aside, um, that would have to be in probably the top three to top five penalty shootouts I've ever watched. Um, just for drama um, and just a, and the longevity of it as well. You know, they, they, it was a great occasion. And the fact that it was the Matildas at home in front of their home crowd just added something extra to the whole drama of the occasion. And the pressure, you always think, how much pressure must those penalty uh, takers be under? It's absolutely extreme. And for them to hold up and get through... Absolute fantastic credit to the Matildas. It really was good. And now, the interesting thing is that you know they've they've got potential. Well, they've definitely got two more games to go. Um, whether that's a semi-final or a final, they'll be hoping it is. Um, but they've got to dust themselves down and go again because England are going to be a massive challenge for them. Yeah, where do you think England are at the moment? A lot of people were saying England f were flattering to deceive there, uh, particularly during the group stages of things. And you know, they, they weren't, uh, I think it's fair to say, they weren't absolutely magnificent against Nigeria. They snuck in there. Uh, but where did you rate that performance uh, to get up uh, at the weekend over Colombia? Yeah, I, I don't think they've really fully hit their straps. Um, you're quite right. But the thing about England now is that they know how to play tournament football. You know, they're, they're, having won the Euros very recently, um, they understand what it takes to get through potentially seven games of a tournament and they realise that sometimes you're not going to play your best but you've got to you've got to guts it out and you've got to find a way to, to win or to bring it to extra time bring it to penalties um, I personally think both semi-finals are going to be very tight I, it wouldn't surprise me if both go to extra time um, and then it's if it goes to penalties it is a bit of a lottery but um, I think overall I think I'm probably favouring Spain and England to get to that final but equally it would not surprise me if it went the other way completely Mm, I, I, I'm kind of got a, uh, a feel about Sweden all of a sudden. I think 
uh, I think in a cool situation or a, a really big pressure situation, Spanish, they just tend to flare up a wee bit. And sometimes that's an asset for them uh, in terms of the way they play, but other times it might be a bit of a liability. And I, I don't see Sweden giving them too much change, to be pers- perfectly honest. I mean, you don't get this far without a very good defence, but Sweden's is quite exceptional. No, it is. That's, that's a very fair point. And, um, yeah, that's right. You know, you need a strong defence to get far in these tournaments and to go on and win them. Um, yeah, I, I just have that feeling that Spain is just going to have a little bit too much for them and they're probably just going to edge it. But as I say, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it ends up going to extra time for that to happen. What have you made of the fallout um, in uh, the United States uh, with... Uh, uh, certain people coming through and very, very, and coming down very hard on uh, the US uh, national women's football team. I, I don't think I've seen any women's sporting person or team uh, vilified to the extent that they have been. And when you're in America, that's quite a tough market. It's a really tough market. And it just shows, I guess, how big number one women's soccer is in the US. Um, but it also shows that results mean a lot. You know, if. If they had got through to the, if they were in the semi-finals tomorrow, I'm sure we wouldn't be hearing about all these other distractions and issues and problems. Um, performance and results, you know, can make up for a lot. But as soon as you don't live up to the hype, and there is a lot of hype about that American team, and rightly so, before this World Cup, because you know of their history in the game, and some of the players that they have, they have some incredible world-class players who simply didn't perform this time. So. To me, I'm not surprised at the amount of criticism uh, they are getting. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how that team reacts. Uh, I expect that you know we know that some will be retiring and some will probably step aside after the tournament, make a decision, um, but also the coaching staff as well. Um, so I think there could be some quite heavy upheaval in women's football in America at the international level over the next six months to a year. You know, I, I looked at the, the body language of uh, their coach, uh, and I'm going to Google him now uh, whilst we talk about that, but uh, he, to me, he was one of the most laid-back for a team under the most pressure. Um, he was one of the most laid-back gentlemen I've ever seen in my life, and it just it, it just tempted me to be thinking how much Vlatko Andonovsky, Vlatko Andonovsky, how much control he had over that dressing room. It'll be int- I think it'll come back. Eventually we'll hear exactly what, what control or lack of control he had, but um, it, you definitely get the sense that a lot, of the, um, a lot of the decisions were made by the players, don't you? Which is, has come back to haunt them, really. Um, it, it just never, you're right. He never really looked like a man in control of his team, of his squad, of exactly what they were doing. Um, and I think, yeah, he's, you know, he's in the highest profile managerial role in women's football um, and you don't get that by accident so they've tied him for a reason but for whatever whatever reason it, it's just not happened for him or for the squad so yeah I, I don't expect him to hang around for much longer to be honest No I don't either I, I think he's uh, yesterday's news to be perfectly honest and I think he was probably appointed at the uh, approval of a lot of those senior players. They wanted that kind of personality around them, not one that was going to clash with them or demand too much for them openly. So um, I think you're absolutely right. And now uh, the pressure will be gone uh, on him, and particularly when two or three of those senior personalities who have held power uh, are going to be disappearing. Very, very interesting to plot them.
uh, a little known a little known team before the uh, Women's Football World Cup. Uh, and now, all of a sudden, we know quite a lot about them. It's uh, 10.52. We thank Aidan McLaughlin for his, uh, pe- pe- uh, his performance with us uh, on the bulletin this morning. Really cool uh, reviewing the weekend of sport as well. Thanks, Aidan. Have a great week. Thanks, Billy.